I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around. And now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Today, we have Donnie Arencia back on the pod. Today, we're going to be talking about working on your practice versus working in your practice from a buyer's perspective. And we'll hear a little bit more of what Donnie and his team and, and also myself and my team at the Fieldmaker Group, how we kind of approach these situations with different practice owners, how much of the caseload that they're treating, how much are they interacting with the current practice management and the operations of the practice, whether they are treating 30, 40 hours a week, or if they are an absentee owner and are they looking to potentially, are you that's listening and watching, are you looking to get out when there's a partnership or a transaction? Or are you looking to stay? There's a whole host of things that can happen. We've talked about it more on other shows as well. Donnie, welcome back. Hey, Dave. Thanks for having me. So yeah, I do business development for Main Street Therapy Partners. Been with the company getting close to eight years now. And you know the quick 30,000 foot overview brief story without getting too long-winded, is that eight years ago when I started, I was actually working for a company called Blue Sky Therapy. So I like to throw that out just because I've done a lot of outreach under that umbrella name. And the long and short is that roughly a year ago, we did a spinoff because our outpatient division, you know, your brick and mortar outpatient physical therapy clinic had grown to a certain size where it just needed its own ecosystem. So Blue Sky Therapy got its start in the skilled nursing space contracting with skilled nursing facilities, assisted living, home health facilities. And when I'd started, we had two outpatient locations and there was this kind of background desire to grow the outpatient division. Fast forward seven years later, we now have 14 locations. We are also doing management contracts with orthopedic groups, things of that nature, still doing a little bit within private communities telehealth, home health, but really just trying to be innovative in the outpatient space. And we currently are located in Maryland, Ohio, Texas, Florida, and our partnership approach, I always use the term geographically agnostic. At the end of the day, with us being a privately held entity, we are very, you know, a lot of people talk about culture, but that's really at the soul and core of what we believe in. So we like to take that agnostic approach because at the end of the day, we're just looking for good people and good businesses that we can help support with our back office offerings. Excellent. So let's get into what are your initial thoughts when we're talking about working on a practice versus working in the practice from a buyer's perspective? What are some of the initial uh, key points? Yeah. I think I'd like to start with something we talked about on the last podcast, but the concept of the seller owner being a cheerleader for the deal. So in that regard, having somebody stick around, I think is almost always the best case scenario. With the only caveat being if they are clinically active. You know, I joke with people a lot of times. You, You watched our webinar. I like to think I have a sense of humor, but I joke with people that you know, if, if you come to me and say, you know, I I'd love to work with main street therapy partners and continue working. And 
you know, as conversation progresses, come to find out, you know, I'm kind of just a fill in. Maybe they have two, three locations and they fill in, you know, when somebody's out sick or maternity or whatever, you know, so I'm mostly managerial operational, but, you know, I, I want north of six figure salary and kind of maintain this status quo of what I'm doing. The reality is, at least for us as a strategic partner, we don't have, you know, hundreds of locations where we can say, sure, you can be a regional for this territory. As we grow, that's obviously a need with us having 14 locations right now. We're on the cusp of having to, you know, look at that sort of model. So it really boils down to what if their expectations are in line with a buyer's expectations, right? So a lot of times when an owner is looking to stick around, I hear it a lot, right? PTs got into being a physical therapist because they love treating patients. They love, you know, being with their patient population. So if somebody is already working in the business, like you said, 30, 40 hours a week, clinically active, we definitely can come in as a partner and help create that exit strategy, what that phase out looks like, right? Hey, let's keep you at the status quo for a year and then give you a sabbatical or kind of dwindle that down. Because when it comes to culture, if you've got Dave there one day and then not the next, we don't change the name of the brand. So I don't want to say we do things discreetly, but it's not always very in the face of the patient population that there is new ownership in there. So to more smoothly transition that owner out, if they have been heavily clinically active, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. Did I answer your question? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. And then in terms of the practice owner being a cheerleader and making sure that this potential partnership is successful, the reason why it's important, regardless of whether they're going to be bought out 100% or if they're going to just you know, if they're going to retain 20 or 30%, or if they're looking to get out of the practice and totally retire in 90 days, or are they going to stay with the practice for two or three years? Regardless, is we, and I'm speaking for most buyers, and you can certainly interject it if you guys have a different viewpoint, but we want the practice owner there on the cheerleading side of things because it mitigates risk. It lessens the risk of something catastrophic happening where there's an issue with the team or the culture or something. And we need that practice owner or now is transitioning into like a clinic director or a hybrid clinic director to maintain the status quo. Like at the very least maintain, obviously we're trying to come in and grow it and use, you know, online marketing and other, other techniques and things like that to grow it. But we need them to kind of spearhead and, and lead this transition. And the transition does not always, it's not always just like, one day or one month. I mean, it, it takes time and it really depends on, it depends on us, the buyers, it depends on the stability of the practice. It depends on like a whole host of factors. And because it depends on all these different factors, that's why it is really important. Yeah. And when it comes to working on the business, right? Somebody who's less clinically active, couple comments on that front. I've talked to some owners and even going back to our, our last cast brokers who are not experienced in the space who have advocated for an owner's salary to be looked at as an ad back. And then I say, okay, you know, what, what does the owner do? Oh, they're treating 32 hours a week. And it's like, well, that revenue is not going to be generated without replacing that PT. So to bring it full circle, if you are working on the business, you can A, look at your salary or your earnings as an ad back that go into valuation 
if you want to phase out, which obviously increases the valuation. But the B side of that is we hope that you have a very strong cheerleader behind you. So be that somebody that's kind of grown into a clinical director role, even a a very tenured office manager. I'm not sure about your locations, but we actually have our clinic director is a front desk person in a couple of our locations. And really, it's just because they're they're a staple of the community. They've been there a long time, and they're just a great point person for communication with that clinic and brand. So when we're talking about somebody who is already transitioned to working on the business, if they are wanting to phase away from a buyer's perspective, I would say it is of the utmost importance to be confident that you have somebody who is going to cheerleader the deal essentially on your behalf as you transition out. And we've got experience, again, doing both of these. And one of the best partnerships we've ever, ever done was just that, right? Owner was transitioning out. There was a director. And, you know, the first couple months were rocky because everybody's like, who are these guys? And But if you believe in what you're doing, and our team here at Main Street Therapy Partners certainly does, you know, it only took a couple months for them to see what type of people we are. And, you know, that director now is one of the favorites amongst really the entire company, just great leader, great person, great human being. So if you are trying to get yourself either if you already are, or you're working toward, you know, I want to be able to transition more seamlessly. So I'm going to start phasing myself out now. Again, let's make sure we have somebody behind you that a buyer can look at that person and say, all right, Joe, I get you're going away, but John behind you that's been with you for 10, 15 years and you know, doesn't seem like they're going to retire any day now either. That's who we're going to look at. And the nice thing is too, is that you can create compensation plans that incentivize that person to help take that brand into the future. For sure. I want to just circle back. You were mentioning like if you guys, you know, you have 14 or so locations, you don't have the 500, like some of the the bigger groups. So you don't have the ability for someone, a practice owner, a partner or acquire their practice. And then they want, you know, like you said, a hundred thousand dollar salary, but then you don't have enough practices for them to really oversee. And so therefore there wouldn't be enough value in that potential role to right. necessitate that type of a salary. And, and then also it's like, let me read between the lines and you can certainly correct me if, if I'm wrong, but a practice owner in that situation that wants to sell the majority or most or all their practice to you guys, but stay as some type of a managerial role, but then say, I want a hundred thousand dollars. Are you guys thinking, well, is there enough value for that person and their experience and their expertise? And then also now, if they're not treating, they're not actually producing income, they're not producing revenue. Are those some of the factors as to why that would not fit? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you nailed it. It's, it's about kind of who we are and where we're at today. So, you know, I don't know the very detailed operations of some of these larger players, but I've talked to owners who are in that situation, right? Hey, I've got two or three locations. I've kind of phased myself out, fill in as needed, sick, maternity, whatever the case may be. And I love that I have a leadership role and I want to keep doing that. And my personal opinion is that they would be able to fit into an ecosystem that maybe had a lot more regional density where it's like, hey, we could roll up your two, three locations into the other five or six that we already have in this market. 
and then you can be a regional over that. You know, we've done deals with people that this is their second go around with selling a business. There was a lot of that done right in the late 90s, early 2000s. So I've talked to a lot of people who have already done that and sold to, you know, big players back in the day. And from what I've experienced, a lot of times in a regional role, people are overseeing 10 to 15 locations, maybe seven on the lower end from what I've heard. So in that context, right, I just don't think that currently fits where we're at today. But as we continue to grow, it's just that natural progression of, hey, we've got three locations in the Dallas-Fort Worth market. Five years from now, hopefully we have 10 locations. And then if a seller comes to us and says, I'm already acting as a, as a regional, if you will, over my couple locations, then it makes a lot more sense, I think, in our perspective to be able to take that approach. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Let's just say if we hypothetically say if there's a practice owner that has one to three locations, but they're treating 40 hours a week, let's say that's practice A, and then practice B has one to three locations, and they're not treating any patients at all. Yeah. Would you agree that the the practice owner that's not treating any patients at all, can they dictate a lot more of the terms and the price and and the transition as they kind of talk to different buyers like us and, and you guys, can they dictate say, more? Do they have more sway or more or more say of how they want the, the potential partnership to kind of unfold or, or find some yeah. type of an agreement? Yeah, I would say it just depends on their expectation, right? Going back to what we were just talking about, if that owner that's one to three locations is not very clinically active and wants to stick around, you know, I, I think there's an argument that their role is not needed in an ecosystem like ours as much as somebody who is working 40 hours a week. And with our experience, I would say that person that is clinically active, that's, you know, I, I like to use the term because somebody said it to me before, they kind of act as the mayor of the business, right? They might spend 20 to 25 hours a week at their mothership location and then go to the other ones. I would say those people, at least for us, definitely have, uh, you know, more buying, selling power, I guess might be a term to use there, just because we need that role, right? So if, if there is a need from a buyer perspective through a transition period, then I think there's more weight carried in that conversation. Got it. What are some things from a seller's perspective, from a practice owner's perspective, what are some of the other things that are maybe overlooked or things that practice owners don't think about or don't consider when they are they're in this transition let's you know they're 50 60 something years old they're maybe on the fence they're starting to listen to content like yours and mine they're they're kind of on the fence of like what they want to do and maybe they're still fairly healthy but they maybe want to spend more time with their children or grandchildren um how should they, or, or what are the areas that are maybe overlooked in regards to their role working in the practice, working on the practice, then they kind of have to see what else is out there with buyers. They need to spend time on that. They need to spend time thinking about the transition, what they want to do, you know, in the next 10, 20 years, the next chapter of their life. What are, what are some areas that are overlooked in this conversation? I don't know if it's overlooked, but specificity and detail, I think goes a long way. So if we've got somebody who comes to us and says, you know, I'm working 50, 60 hours a week once I tack on my administrative stuff, I just want better work-life balance. That's a very broad term and very subjective. So if somebody were to say the same thing, hey, I'm working 50 to 60 hours a week, 
you know, 40 of that's in the clinic. I, I just want to be 32 hours clinical and not have to worry about everything. That is a very black and white. You can put numbers behind that. So I would say, again, it's not overlooked, but if somebody could come to the table with a very clear picture of what they'd love their future to look like post-transition, I think that makes things a lot easier instead of that just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, kind of unknown of what the, the future is going to look like. A little bit of an offshoot question in regards to you guys. So you said that you will maintain the, these local brands. You're not going to really yeah. change their their names, which is which is kind of like a USPH model in a way. I mean, they're one of the probably the largest in the country where they keep the, the mom and pop independent names. Is that I don't know. Is that intentional? I'm sure it is. Or like what you know, what's the thought process around that? Yeah, I, I mean, it, just with our partnership in Dallas Fort Worth, if we had gone in there and said, all right, we're changing the name, the Main Street Therapy Partners, everybody would be like, we have no idea who Main Street Therapy Partners is. So we're not one of those large players with a multi-state or national recognition. But also, I think even more importantly, when you look at this space, the a lot of the top performers in any given market have been established for at minimum 10 years, if not 20, 30 and there's just such a community element to this service industry that leaving the name in place and we even go our kind of motto is if it ain't broke don't fix it right so relevant for listeners that are potentially considering partnerships we have different scheduling models across our different brands we have different clinical niches there is very little that is you know, approached with a, this is just the way it is mentality. So we like to not only leave that brand autonomy in place, but leave as much of that culture autonomy in place. So again, from scheduling model to how we, how we approach marketing. Yes, we're going to support them digitally with our back office services. But if there's somebody that's like, Hey, we've always given away t-shirts at discharge. We're not going to come in and say, Oh, we don't do that. That's something that's, you know, been been part of just been part of that culture for however long. So so yeah, I think at the end of the day, leaving the brand intact is just what makes the most sense for transitioning into a new market, not feeling like you're disrupting the lives of the patients and staff. But what if you guys, like you said, you I think you said three locations in Dallas, Fort Worth? Yeah. Yeah. So what happens if you guys acquire a fourth? Would you yeah. tuck that in potentially to really good question? Yeah, the the brand name already there. Maybe it probably depends on on the distance between, maybe, or it depends on a couple of those factors. Those are some of the challenging things I think as you guys continue to build your clusters of different uh, metros. Yeah, and that really I think is more important to understand whatever the dynamic would have been with that brand and the owner. So we too, you know, we'll talk about leaving equity on the table. So if it were a brand where owner was still active, still had equity, and we found a single location where an owner was wanting to phase out, there definitely could be a conversation about rolling that up into a brand with multiple locations already, if geography made sense. And that's why, you know, this is just such an interesting space to be in. Every conversation is just so uniquely different from expectations to when you start talking about retained equity and future growth. And, you know, we tend to talk to a lot of folks who are 
around an exit strategy conversation. But more and more, we're also finding younger people who are entrepreneurs and they're like, but I, I just, you know, I can't do it all myself, right? I'd, I'd love to have a support partner and not just feel like a, a drop in a bucket with some big conglomerate. So we're, we're starting to have more of those conversations. And that's where these nuances really come in. Because if we talk to a younger entrepreneur that might be in, you know, a, a Southwest Florida market and they want to leave skin in the game, you have to approach that totally differently than you would if somebody was just wanting to phase out. Got it. So when we're talking about working on the practice versus working in the practice, what would be like, if you could wave a magic wand, what would be like the perfect practice owner, seller, partner, where maybe they say like, Hey, what they're never, I mean, obviously they have to think about their best interests and their goals and all that, but what would you wave a magic wand? What would be the best thing for you guys? And, And I'll, I'll kick out hypothetically. Maybe it's someone who's got the experience, the business development experience as a practice owner, Maybe they're going to continue working, like you said, 32 hours a week, or maybe just 20 hours a week. And then the other hours, they're going to be revisiting physician referral partners. They're going to be out in the community. They're going to retain maybe 20 or 30% of equity. Maybe they're going to stay for, sell everything, but stay for two or three years. Like, What would be some of these things at a high level that would be a really great perspective partner for you guys? I think you almost said it, right? An owner with maybe two locations. So they have some experience with going from one to two. So they have some experience with growing a brand who is close to full-time clinically active, but again, wants to focus on continued growth, but just doesn't have the personal bandwidth because not only are they 32 to 40 hours a week clinical, they're you know taking work home with them or having late nights, making sure payroll's getting done, dealing with any sort of legal stuff on an annual basis. So I would say somebody who has grown a bit within their brand, clinically active, but is looking for a support system that would allow them to phase down to maybe a 20-hour a week clinical role and their rest of their time is spent liaising, identifying, you know, third or fourth or fifth location opportunities. And also, you know, a lot of people just have relationships within the network. So it's like, hey, you know, I, I know John 10 miles down the road, we went to school together or we used to work together in a past life. You know, maybe we should go talk to him and see kind of what his future goals look like. So I'd say that would be an ideal situation because just inherently that owner slash seller, I think feels vested, right? Regardless of equity conversation, they feel vested because there's always going to be compensation associated with growth. So in their mind, if I can bring other people to the table or open additional locations, that's, you know, part of their future, future goal. I think that'd be a best case scenario. Yeah. And I know what you mean by vested, but if someone's listening that they don't understand what that means, can you just expand on that? You know, vested in in the financial sense, I think means retained equity, right? So they're going to keep 20, 30% of the business. So they're sharing in 20, 30% of the profits as time goes on outside of the deal. And maybe that's another episode for us. Talk about all the different ways to, all right, is there a buy sell option at a year, two years, three years, whatever? Is there a sunset on that? What is a future event? Because we get asked that being privately held, there aren't a lot of folks like us. So they're like, well, what happens if you guys ever, you know, bring on private equity or sell or whatever? So especially for younger people that we're having conversations with, though it's not anything on our radar, you never say never, right? So it's it's something that 
younger people especially want to know, well, what happens? Like, how does this, how does my value increase by becoming a part or a, or a Main Street therapy partner? So I think that's a good opportunity for another podcast. That's, another. that's, def- that's definitely another one. And that, so that if they retain that 20, 30%, they either want to know or they want to understand what's the potential upside of that 20 or 30%. Like if you guys then get acquired by Confluent or USPH or whatever in the next, you know, five to seven years, that 20 or 30% could potentially be a really, a really large dollar amount. And in some cases, it certainly, it depends on a lot of things, but it could be maybe close to, or I don't know, potentially even larger, but definitely could be close to the original liquidity event. Even if the original liquidity event was like eight, 70 or 80%. Yep, I've run some numbers and I don't think you're far off the mark that there is a good potential that holding on to that minority equity, if there were a future event, could equate to a similar amount as that initial purchase price or valuation. So yeah, so be invested just and even outside of equity though, you know, you could talk about upside earnout concepts within a deal. So that's another way for people. There, there there's a difference between being actually vested and feeling vested, because I think there's just some people that innately want to see things succeed. So they just have that within their personality and feel vested. But in the literal sense, right, vested is going to be equity or some sort of compensation that's driving them to want to see the brand succeed. Right. Donnie, this was great. Where can the audience reach out to you on LinkedIn or email or website? What's a good place for them to connect yeah. with you further and, and hear about Main Street? Any of those three. I'm a big LinkedIn guy. I'm on there all the time. So Donnie Arengia on LinkedIn, MainStreetPT.net. If you fill out any of the sell your practice page forms, that'll go straight to me. And then email Dorengia at MainStreetPT.net. But yeah, whatever works for the audience works for me. But thanks for having me, Dave. Really appreciate your time. Thank you, Donnie. And owners listening, subscribe if you find this valuable, helpful. Check us out on YouTube, iTunes, and Spotify, The Dave Kittle Show. We'll catch you next time here on the pod. And Donnie, hopefully we'll have you back on in the future. Hey, looking forward to it. Take care. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N. C-I-E-R-G-E, painrelief.com, or you can call me at any time, 646-781-8884.